Arizona soul Riders on the soul And soothe us as before And through the wall we throw Like a dog without a bone And not sure on alone Riders on the soul There's a killer on the road His brain is screaming like a soul Say good on holy day Let your children's play If you give this man a ride Sweet for money will die Killer on the road Yeah January is almost gone. <laughs> it's the 13th of January, 2021. Um, I am still feeling that. I never thought that whiplash was so bad. Um, it's, it's quite um, disturbing in uh, how much pain. I mean, I live with pain all the time. This is just ridiculous. You know, I... I think it's about time we talked a little bit more about scripts. So I have said I'm one who has written many scripts. I go by many pen names per se. <clears throat> but what I'm seeing is um, something that's ingrained in the people's minds you know, we see it on TV and culture. And I'll take it back to, uh, for those that are moms, right? As a mother, uh, when I had my children and they were young, um, I would uh, always um, have them in my bedroom to sleep with me as babies in these little Moses baskets up until, um, you know, uh, they were, you know, eight, nine months old. Except for Hera, that was in an incubator from May until August, um, where she was, you know, because she was born way early. Um, but other than that, they would be in a Moses basket in my bedroom next to me. And um, I would always kind of make sure that I can, uh, you know, see her. I would feed them every three hours so they wouldn't have to cry. And that's because I wanted them to bond with me. Now, something that we see throughout all of society is that they're teaching people to create like baby rooms and then put the babies on the side and, um, uh, just, uh, you know, they'll just cry it out. And this is creating a distance so they can be obedient. So um, I found myself thinking of this and how incredible it is because I'm seeing this mindset uh, amongst the people. That's actually quite disheartening, if you ask me. Um, and in a sense, it made me think of... Um, 
the necessity for people to pray. And I'll tell you why. Slaves. Slavery, right? Let's pretend you're a slave because you are, but you know you don't want to admit it. So how do you survive if you and your children are slaves and you're born into this slavery? What survival strategies will you teach your kids in order to survive? Because a slave must obey their master. And, and, and keep in mind, these strategies don't always come naturally, right? To just obey because naturally you are born and you believe you are free. So you must learn to stifle your nature. You must learn to eat crow and shut up because let's say the, the, your masters decide that they want to whip you because uh, they feel like it. The, the, the one thing that you're going to think of is revenge. Oh, I want revenge because that's natural. You're like, I'm free. I didn't do anything for your enjoyment. You're whipping me. This is really messed up, you know, and I'm going to get revenge. But you have to shut that down because if you don't shut down that feeling of revenge, then you are not going to be a living slave. Suppose your master tells you um, to wait, sit down, wait, wait patiently, you know, shut up. You have to stop moving, talking or doing anything because your master said so. And you have to suppress any feeling of wanting to itch your nose or walk about or take a stroll. You have to literally override your desires and your wants to do anything you want because you must obey. In general, you are training yourself to restrain your natural impulses. And then you must internalize all your anger and become patient and uh, careful uh, because, you know, you have to do this because slaves that don't end up dead. So slave virtues are that of self-preservation, of obedience and humility and patience. Those are for the good slaves. And those are the traits that have been drilled into every single one of you. They're children of these slaves, right? The, your children are also over time taught all of these nice cultural values, how, how to shut up and, you know, be quiet and just wait there because one day there'll be a moment. They silence each other and give each other this false hope that something will change. Something will change. Right? Something will happen. Right? It's a moral codes that develop under different survival circumstances. Right? And the history of circumstances that surround survival circumstances are necessitated for the development of humankind and for slave morality. What, oh, we don't talk about that. Well, well, what happened to Joey? You know, he sneezed when they told him to shut up. Yeah, yeah, we don't talk about that. What happened to Miss Mary next door? I heard she didn't get the vaccine. Where'd she go? Don't worry about that. We don't talk about that. We just put our head down, work, and do what they say. Does this not ring familiar to you right now? Do you not see that this is exactly happening right now? Slavery. 
Now, many will say, well, no, 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 we're free because we can still drive around and, and we can have our money and, and, and we have guns. <laughs> I think Biden told you, you don't have nukes or F-15s. You're not going to buy those. So while many sit here and, and, and play the parts they're supposed to, I'm going to tell you how they're just playing a part. And you, the unknowing spectator, are eating popcorn while they're both fighting. Two sides are fighting and you're in the line of fire. Guess what? Your ass is what they're fighting for. Owning you is what you're fi they're fighting for. And there's millions of you and a handful of them. Yet nobody seems to pay attention. No one seems to be paying attention to all of that. We're all focused on, well, when is this going to be over? Over for what? You want to go back to where it was? Where? Your children have taught, have been taught from day one for those that have put their babies in a crib and let them cry it out and didn't, you know, bond with them. For those that, you know, don't have that fostering relationship with their family because we were ingrained in society to do that. That started with social security. Oh, fuck your old parents. Don't worry about it. Government will take care of it. Yeah. Fuck marriage. Get rid of that loser. You don't need that. We'll take care of you. Oh, your kids. Don't worry about it. The state will take care of that too. See children watch everything and they understand what their values are and what they need to survive. And over time, they have inherently taken these slave virtues to become cultural values. This is what we're seeing. And in every generation before your generation, many people, sheep-like, have been steered into being slaves. Their minds were hijacked. And you know what's even more messed up? That we're in the land of confusion. And right now, you don't know what's up, what's down, who's really telling you the truth and who's not. So what you have to focus on is how it makes you feel. That's the only thing someone can't take away from you is the way something makes you feel. Okay. The only way your gut resonates with you is with how something makes you feel, right? How does it make you feel? That's all you have to think about. How does this make me feel? How do I feel about this? What can I do to stop feeling like this? That's all you have to think about. What do I have to do to stop feeling like this? Now, I'm going to tell you what their plan is. But first, I am going, yep, yeah, there we go. I'm going to tell you what their plan is. And, um, <sighs> A lot of you may not like today's show because it's going to be very transparent and really eye-opening. Kind of like yesterday, how I told you that DARPA was just pretending. Ah, look, we're just going to throw Fauci under the bus. You know, that script didn't work. We're going to scrap it. We're going to flip the script right now. And we're just going to flip it and nail it on someone else because the people can't know because then that destroys the government. And it's like, damn, that's been destroyed. It's not going to be destroyed. It has been. Now, let's take a look of what's really being discussed these days. Um, and then we're going to go back in time to like June and then have a little bit of discussion so I can show you what their plan is. 
uh, the Supreme Court. They are sitting on their hands right now while the whole country sits in limbo on these OSHA mandates. But Iowa is not waiting. They have go- gone ahead and sent a letter to OSHA saying they do not plan on complying. Do you expect more states to follow suit? Yes, and I hope we get a quick decision, though, from the Supreme Court. At least the oral argument sounds like they're leaning towards saying, hey, there's enough evidence here that this is unconstitutional, that the courts will still hear it, and we're not going to make a final decision, but we're going to continue to have a stay, or we're not going to let the mandates go into place. That's what I'm hoping we hear from them, and then we'll see where it goes. But to my mind, laws come from Congress. That's what the Constitution says. They're passed by Congress, and then they are signed by the president. The president doesn't create and sign laws. This is a massive infringement of of our liberty, and it's one of the most pervasive laws you can imagine to force everybody to get a medical care whether they want to or not. How could that possibly be constitutional if Congress doesn't pass it? That, to me, is a big separation of powers issue and a big constitutional issue, and I hope the court will, will, will recognize that. You know, more people should have been outraged when President Biden was mentioning that he didn't know if it was legal, but they were going to do it anyway uh, and you know, leave it up to the Supreme Court. That's not how the system is supposed to work, as you pointed out. Uh, let's also talk about something that a lot of people don't think is constitutional either, and that is uh, the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, Democrats really pushing hard for this. And we are seeing the shame game in full force right now. It is, you know, if you don't go along with this, if you don't support what they're trying to do, with this federalization of our election process, then you are a racist. And there's nothing in between. Bull Connor, you know, George Wallace, we're all the same if you don't support this. Well, people like Joe Biden need to remember that George Wallace and Bull Connor were prominent Democrats. They're the history of the Democrat Party. Republicans were never these awful racists that they're describing. Republicans uh, really, for since the Civil War, have been the heroes of both emancipation and voting rights for African Americans. The other good news is, is the facts on the ground uh, don't show a worsening problem. They show that we're getting better. Yeah. Uh, there was a time in the South where African Americans were prevented from voting. It was a terrible time. But we've, we've come a long way. When the Supreme Court looked at this issue in the last couple of years, they said, um, how, how, what percentage of African Americans are voting compared to whites in Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina? Interestingly, African Americans vote as the same percentages of whites or higher. So this is good news. We should all be congratulating ourselves that race relations are getting better, that people aren't being prevented from being voting. And so when when Biden gets up there and calls people racist or says that it's worse, I think he's stoking racial tension. Certainly. He, he's stoking anger. And instead, we should be so much better than we've ever been. And we should be congratulating ourselves. We have integrated marriages, integrated churches, integrated clubs. We have a a whole generation of our young people who don't see people at all based on race. So I think it's awful what Biden's doing. It's 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 stoking racial division and he really should be ashamed of himself. And what about this ploy to blow up the whole filibuster? You know, it's by any means necessary. Uh, Joe Biden's going to go up there and talk to senators today about this. Uh, You know, I, I do think it's interesting considering how much Democrats used to love the filibuster not that long ago. Uh, and your your colleague, Tom Cotton, put Chuck Schumer on notice about that. Here's an exchange that we saw yesterday on the Senate floor. It is the Senate where the founding fathers established a repository of checks and balances. The Senate is not a majoritarian body. They will make this country into a banana republic where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Those are powerful words, but they're not mine. 
every word of my speech today was originally spoken by our esteemed colleague, the senior senator from New York, Chuck Schumer. I think it's an excellent use of a, an, an enlarged picture there. But I mean, the hypocrisy is just so obvious. You know, Chuck Schumer is shameless as well. I think it's important to remember that the filibuster protects our liberty. The natural state of man is to be left free of government. We have a minimal amount of government because government's a necessary evil. So the more government you get, the less liberty you have. You don't want it to be easy to pass legislation. You want it to be consensus. You want to build bipartisanship. You don't want the left or the right to quickly pass bills that can take away your liberty. So I think really it's good that it, the Senate slows things down and that it takes a supermajority because the vast majority of legislation is really about taking away your liberty, not granting your liberty. Yeah. Senator Rand Paul, great to see you. Hey, I'm Rob Finnerty. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video. Yeah, we don't enjoy any of these. So let's go with understanding how many Senate seats are open for 2022. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. Whoa, lost count there. Uh, three, six, nine, 12, 15. 18, wow, 21, 22, 24, 26, 28, 30, 32. Oh, look at that. We have 33 seats up for grabs. So weird. Uh, 33 seats are up for grab for the Senate right? For the Senate in 2022. And for Congress, I'm going to tell you what they're going to do. And um, let's see. 30, it says 34 Senate seats are up in 2022 and all 435 House seats. Now let me tell you what they're going to do. This is, they say 34, I think it's 33. Um, now, this is where the problem lies. Right now, Congress is um, uh, for the alleged Democrat party, right? For the insane ones, for the insane minions. And then it's the masters, the Republicans. They're gonna pass a bill to change the way elections are done. Not only that, they're also going to pass a bill to, without well, pass a bill, they're also going to put in uh, legislation so that the, the House in 2022, I'm telling you this, everyone's focusing on Congress. You need to focus on the fucking Senate. In 2022, in the fall, they are going to pass. This is where they're going to blindside the whole thing. This is where scripts are actually flipped. Hence why you saw the little torch from Rand Paul. So we got Senate seats up and we got Congress. Everyone in Congress is up for a run. And then we have Senate. So Congress right now, the way it is, 
it's going to pass a shit ton of bills that are going to go to the Senate, but then it'll be Christmas. So they're not going to do anything. When session opens, they'll have the Senate and they will fuck you hard. Just letting you know. So what can we do? We need to be, we need to stop 2022 from happening as much as we can. So what happened today was insane this morning. A lot of people, SCOTUS, this is great, but this is bad. This is good, but this isn't. And this is, and this is, oh gosh. I think the only thing that we have to do is um, inform more people. We have rigged machines and rigged elections, and now they're trying to change the way the law is. I need you guys to pray super hard for my um, attorneys, because if we can get this Dominion case to move as fast as possible, we can actually get something done. Um, It should have been done earlier, but there's so many people flipping the script. I mean, even people close to me have flipped the script. They have completely sold out. I mean, Dr. Oz is now throwing Fauci under the bus. When, when did you ever foresee that shit? Right? All he wants is a seat. Everything changes after that. Everyone has sold out for money and self-preservation. Every single one of them. And what hurts the most is that, you know, people are listening to fucking bullshit online about this is, this is, is let's pretend, right? Let's pretend, right? Let's just totally pretend that in the background, all these losers that are telling you that people are arrested. Oh, this guy was executed. I know that. And they talk like they know what they're talking about, right? Let's pretend that all of that was true. And for some reason, you didn't know, right? For some reason, you didn't know because you shouldn't know. And then all of this that's happening, right, is is happening for your good, but you don't know. And they're like, don't worry about it. So all these, you know, background things are happening. Let's pretend that's true. Let's pretend that is true. Let's pretend. It doesn't matter. So what happens? Do you get sunshines and butterflies on the other end? No, you're still fucking in the dark. You have no idea what's going on. And then suddenly, you know, Biden's out, Trump's in. He dies because he's of old age or has a heart attack. And then you're back to square one because you were asleep the whole damn time. So you, you would not know what really went on. Transparency and knowing things one after another is very important, right? We need this. We need transparency. And you have to understand that this is spiritual war more than anything, but it's also hacking your mind, right? I'm going to say, let's pretend that all of this stuff is happening. All right. Let's take it as, yep, yep. All this good stuff is happening. Right. And maybe 0.001% of the people in the United States believe that and they sit, right? And they sit and they're like, no, 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 it's going to be fine. But no one, but no one is doing anything. And again, things get rectified. 
And suddenly, you know, Trump's back in office. We're kicking ass. Economy's great. And suddenly, you know, he's not a young buck. He passes away. Then what? You get your crews, your Rand Paul, who, who speaks nice to you? Cause all of you love Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell many times. So again, you're in control. And I don't understand why there's so many naysayers. You're a naysayer. Go fuck off. Go to your FEMA camp straight there. Move to a state that is seceding, right? And don't help your country. That's the way it is. Everything that happened in SCOTUS today was because of you. Every statement they made was because of you. You gave them that information. And this is why you win. Because of you. So again, you need to be watching what they're doing. They're fighting. There's infighting between the uniparty for power. Infighting, complete infighting. They're posturing people. They're posturing people into position. So many are flipping from Democrat to Republican. Stop it. Stop it. So many people are pulling up this torch. Symbology, symbolism will be their downfall. You can see it. This is how they claim their solidarity. We heard that before. That's right. Nazis. You know, fake news is one thing. Muddled news is another thing. But where's the real news of what's actually happening? Like the factual, actual. For example, I went to one of the supposed busiest hospitals in downtown Cleveland at Lutheran Cleveland Clinic. The ER was fucking dead. Okay, it was dead. Dead. They had two people in there and me. Dead. Where are all these people that are getting COVID supposedly with the numbers? That's real fake news. The question is, why are these hospitals? Why are these nurses? Why are these doctors complying with the narrative? Why are they complying? Money? No, it's self-preservation. They want their job. It's slave tactics. Slave tactics. This is how they operate. It's slave tactics. They understand that they must obey their master in order to survive. Their morals have shifted. It is unheard to them to undermine the master's, you know, law. Anyone that has strength or aggression or resentment to trampling upon their innate freedoms and free will is considered immoral. So when you think of morality, you have to think of this. What is the definition of morality? Because there are many people out there that are okay if they kill you because you're not vaccinated. Yet they can't prove that you're a health hazard. They are even telling people, oh, don't mind what the Supreme Court of the United States said. Just go ahead and, 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 and force vaccines on people anyway. They literally said that. Literally. Here's Jen Psaki after the results came out saying, oh, don't worry. You need to push for these vaccines. Uh, news that maybe isn't getting enough attention yet. That's our jobs here, or my job here, I should say. Uh, CMS's requirement for healthcare workers to be vaccinated will save the lives of patients, as well as the lives of doctors, nurses, and others uh, who work in healthcare settings. It will cover 17 million 
healthcare workers at 76,000 medical facilities. The Supreme Court upheld it, and we will enforce that. Uh, the, uh, the, the Supreme Court's decision on the OSHA mandate essentially means that in, the, in this pandemic, it is up to individual employers to determine whether their workplaces will be safe for employees and whether their businesses will be safe for consumers. Uh, so President Biden, you'll see this in his statement, uh, will be calling on and will continue to call on businesses to immediately join those, those who have already stepped up, including one third of Fortune 100 companies uh, to institute vaccination requirements to protect their workers, customers, and communities. We have to keep working together uh, in order uh, to uh, get this done to save more lives. Um, I would note that there are a couple of um, signs, good signs in terms of uh, without this um, even in, even in spite of the ruling that we would point to. One is that 57%, according to a Navigator poll of Americans, support vaccine requirements. Uh, according to a Wills Tower Watson's report, a survey of 534 U.S. employers, a majority, 57% of respondents have or will require their employees to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Why? Uh, because nearly, uh, because employees want to feel safe in the workplace, uh, because they want to incentivize workers to come back to the workplace, and because they've seen uh, large companies across the country implement this and see how effective it is. So SCOTUS said no, but they said it's okay, you're still going to do it, right? CMS, just so you know, is a mandate within the Department of Health, Human, um, Human Health Services. So that needs to be quashed by the health workers, but they need obedient slaves within that dynamic because then they shut up. Are you willing to kill these people? Thank you. We have your loyalty. Now, what you have to think of is all these companies that have complied. What we need to look at is tax incentives, monetary gains. She's already told you that those companies that do not require vaccines will be branded as unsafe for consumers. She's already told you that. They've already started the narrative. So even though SCOTUS said, uh-uh-uh, and they will fail anyway in the 6th District, hopefully we do it the right way because the concern that I have, and thank goodness we're in there, is not to argue that the state has police powers because look at how New York is with their fucking police powers, Okay right? The state owns everyone there, right? The state owns everyone there. The problem that you have is your state has now uh, been arguing that they're in charge of you for state sovereignty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to tell you this, for all those Americans out there that think well, this is a pandemic. We definitely need this vaccine. I know it's against our constitution. We're forcing people to take it, but it's for our own good. Let's pretend that's true. Let's pretend this was deadly. Let's pretend everyone is dying. Let's pretend that everyone needs to take it to survive. Let's pretend. Well, now that you've given the power and the authority to the federal government to do that, then let's further this down. In a few years, they will say, well, this child has no chance of survival. We will terminate the child at the age of three. I'm sorry, it's going to be way too expensive for the government to take care of such a child. I'm sorry, you have a genetic defect. We recommend that your child 
gets a hysterectomy. They shouldn't be allowed to have ch children. Uh, your mom is 63 and her heart has failed. We can get her a heart transplant, but we're not going to pay for it. So we're just going to starve her and she will pass away. Okay. I'm sorry. Did you just sign up for your uh, driver's license? Oh, that's great. You're 14. That's fantastic. Please take care to be an organ donor. Thank you. That's already actually a fact in Illinois. See, when you give away rights for something that you fear, it doesn't stop there. It only takes one super tyrant to do it. Now, while President Trump is in full operational mode, he's one fucking person. So when people start saying, ah, oh, he's not in charge. Oh, well, what's he going to do if all you idiots in the country run around and say, oh, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to comply because I really need my job. He can't help you. That's the whole thought. He can't help you. One person's going to save you. Are you that dumb? That's the problem. I see it in various chat rooms where people are literally telling, don't worry, we got this. And I'm like, all right. So, you know, Biden even said, uh, you know, he signed it from the White House in Florida, right? <laughs> so you get it. All right. So let's agree that shit's happening in the background. The thing is, even if it's one guy and 10 people under his command, how are you going to fix this? If you're sitting there and you can't do things, you can't unvaccinate yourself. You can't undo things that have changed your genetic code. You can't undo laws that they pass that easy unless you undo your whole nation. And this is dragging on because all of you are still on your knees and no one is standing up to say, okay, enough. I'm done. We're done. I'm done. Now, because they can't pass a bill because the torch is being passed. The Democrats want it. The minions have risen to the point they were in the 1800s. They have come up, right? And they're like, all right, now we overtook you guys. We're no longer in your control. We want our slaves back. All right. But you can't have your slaves like that. Like we could do this and monetize like this, but you can't have your slaves back. We want our slaves back and we're coming hard. Now these two parties are literally fighting. And now because the one is in control, sort of ish for the eyes of the people, because he's recognized by them, they want to get rid of the filibuster. How many of you know what that is? Let's take a listen. Let's see. How does the filibuster work? We're going to listen to a few clips so you understand what they are trying to undo. Here we go. You don't know very much about how Congress works, you probably heard of the filibuster at least once. It's something everyone who follows politics complains about. It frustrates the majority party in the Senate, and it limits what presidents can accomplish. But how does it work? A filibuster happens when a senator decides to stall a bill being considered by the Senate before the Senate can vote on it to make it a law. The Senate can't vote until it finishes the debate on the bill. Basically, without a filibuster, if 51 senators vote yes on a bill, it passes the Senate. With a filibuster, it takes 60. So, in a way, 1 equals 9. It used to be that a senator had to actually talk while they were filibustering. The record for the longest filibuster of continuous talking was set by Strom Thurmond of South Carolina, who spent 24 hours and 18 minutes trying to prevent the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1957. Why not 24 hours and 19 minutes? Now a senator just has to show up to stop a bill from passing, though the Senate Majority Leader can require them to actually talk. If 60 senators vote in the debate on a bill, meaning the senators can't speak anymore, then the bill can move forward to the actual vote. 
This is called a cloture motion. It's French for closure since it closes debate. As you can imagine, these rules mean pretty much no bills pass just by 51 votes. There is a system to allow more than one bill to be considered at the same time, so every bill behind the one being filibustered isn't also stopped. Budget bills can be passed through a process called reconciliation, which is not nearly as friendly as the name implies. Reconciliation means the budget bill is only allowed to be debated for 20 hours. One issue with reconciliation is that budget bills often have sections that ban or allow money to be spent on something, which is a lot like a law. So things that look like laws and act like laws but aren't called laws can be passed despite not having enough votes, 60, to stop a filibuster. So basically, the Senate is most efficient when it comes to spending money. Big shock. There's also something called the nuclear option, which sounds much cooler than the subject matter deserves. The nuclear option is where the Senate's presiding officer would rule the filibuster unconstitutional as frustrating the requirement of majority rule. Since the Constitution outweighs the Senate's own rules and the filibuster isn't mentioned in the Constitution, this would become the rule until another presiding officer changed it. Decisions by the presiding officer cannot be appealed. Of course, to say that this would be unpopular with the minority party would be putting it mildly. One concern about using it to stop even one specific kind of filibuster would be that eventually the majority could change all the rules of the Senate whenever they wanted, which would be a disaster. And so it remains a largely unconsidered option. And there you have the filibuster. All right. Now let's see another explanation of, well, you know what? What is a filibuster? How did it start? Let's, let's, let's go there. Let's start it from from the top. What happened in 1806 that changed it? The filibuster. The filibuster. Filibuster. Uh, filibuster. The filibuster. It's regarded by some as an outdated rule that broke the Senate. We need to get rid of the filibuster to keep our democracy. Others say it protects the right of the minority and fosters bipartisanship. It's basically designed, Chuck, to make sure the minority has input. You may know it as the time Ted Cruz read Green Eggs and Ham and talked on the Senate floor for over 21 hours. Do you like Green Eggs and Ham? But what exactly is the filibuster? And why does it exist? A filibuster really is any attempt in the Senate to block or delay a Senate from getting to a vote. That can be endless debate. It can be offering endless amendments. It can be offering obstructive motions. Put simply, it's a loophole within Senate rules that blocks legislation. Rather than requiring a simple majority to pass a bill, it requires at least 60 votes to just end debate. Once that's over, voting can begin. But that wasn't always the case. The filibuster came to be, we believe, because of an unintended consequence of a very small change in cleanup of the Senate rule book in 1806. You can blame that on Aaron Burr. Just a year earlier, Vice President Burr, freshly indicted for murdering Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton in a duel, told the Senate they had too many rules. The Senate responded by eliminating a rule that could have been used to cut off debate, opening the door for lawmakers to talk for hours to delay proceedings. For years, business went on as usual until one senator wised up and decided to exploit the change. In the 1840s, Senator John Calhoun took the opportunity to block bills he feared would diminish the power of slaveholding states by talking for hours on end. Some senators took notice of the tactic, and decades later, the act of endless debate became more common, ultimately earning the name filibuster. The name actually comes from a Dutch term for pirate which is pretty appropriate given that a filibustering senator 
is essentially taking the Senate captive. Get dressed. We're going to have company. Politicians on both sides of the aisle were frustrated that a single senator's never-ending speech could destroy legislation supported by the majority. So in 1917, at the urging of President Woodrow Wilson, Senate Rule 22 was adopted. It allowed the Senate to end debate with a two-thirds majority vote, also known as a cloture. This was later reduced even further to a three-fifths vote. Even still, long-winded talks were very much possible. The record for the longest single-person filibuster is held by South Carolina's Strom Thurmond, who tried to stop the passage of the 1957 Civil Rights Act. He went on and on for over 24 hours and failed to convince a single senator to change their vote. Fast forward to today, the filibuster is now more common than ever. But unlike the old days, they're rarely passionate hours-long speeches. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. Regardless of opposition senators' intent in voting against cloture, the outcome, more often than not, is just deadlock, that these issues just remain on the agenda year after year, and in fact never get to a vote beyond the procedural vote on cloture. Both Democrats and Republicans have toyed with eliminating the legislative filibuster over the years. One way to do that is the complicated nuclear option, when senators override an existing rule, like the number of votes needed to end debate. The term the nuclear option is applied to one route or one procedural path to abolishing the filibuster, meaning usually meaning lowering the threshold requiring 60 votes closure down to, say, 50 or a simple majority. Harry Reid used the nuclear option in 2013, clearing the way for executive branch nominees to reach approval with a simple majority. It's time to get the Senate working again. Mitch McConnell followed up in 2017 by extending the simple majority vote to Supreme Court nominations. When Democrats used it in 2013, the opposition, the minority party, threatened to say, if you use this particular procedural route, we are going to blow up all the other bridges in sight. Every time you need consent from a member of the other of 100 senators, we're going to object. We're going to make your life so miserable, it's going to be like nuclear war. Deadlock in the Senate isn't going away anytime soon. Whatever the future may hold for the filibuster, it's likely to remain a point of contention, regardless of who's in power. So, what is the ultimate filibuster? I have a clip for that, too. The ultimate filibuster. <laughs> Guys, if can I uh, hold on? <clears throat> Let me just All right. retry, retry that joke. Um, uh, man, I hope I don't get killer. Oh, oh dang. I, I didn't. I, all right. Who? Nick? <laughs> what happened? We just left. So for those of you that have never played Among Us, it's about outing the person that's the murderer and who it is. Uh, they can filibuster on that one. And I've seen people in teams do that on the video game. But speaking of the filibuster, right, you have to understand how the bills are passed because this is really, really important. Back in 2019, we discussed how Nancy Pelosi had pushed the idea of uh, the ruling party to be able to have three seats on uh, the FEC so that the FEC is partisan. Uh, 
She also stated that uh, starting in 2021, uh, or was it 2022? I'm trying to remember uh, that uh, you would, any contribution you would make, if it's a dollar, tax dollars would then be used to match it for small donors. Do you guys remember that? So they've been going after your elections hard. Now, the mitigation that we have in the attempt that, that uh, they're trying to, in the public eye, remember, because this is all about just the public eye, it's not reality, is that they want to eliminate the filibuster first. So here's how they do it. 100 people are the U.S. Senate. They pass laws. They vote, and when a majority says yes, it passes. But these days, the Senate doesn't do that very often. The Senate holding two votes, both failed. It's completely dysfunctional. Four versions of gun control proposals, and all four failed. See, the Senate has this rule. It says before they vote, 60 people have to agree to have the vote. That means just 41 people, a minority, can entirely block a bill. This is called a filibuster. Early on, filibusters were rare. This is a chart of the number of times the Senate has had a vote to break a filibuster in the last 100 years. But in the last 50 years, they started to grow. And now, almost every big bill is filibustered. The U.S. Senate is broken, and the filibuster broke it. But the Senate didn't always have this rule. In fact, it all kind of happened by accident. This is the Senate in 1805. It's much smaller than it is now, and the filibuster as we know it today doesn't exist yet. And before they vote on a bill, they debate. If they want to end debate and vote, they just need a majority to agree. But Vice President Aaron Burr thinks a high-minded place like the Senate should have as much debate as needed. So the Senate gets rid of the rule. Now senators can debate for as long as they want, and there's no way to stop them. This is the beginning of the Senate filibuster. At first, it isn't really a problem. Because the Senate is still pretty small, there's only so long a group of senators can physically talk. Eventually, they tire out, debate ends, and they get to a vote. But as the U.S. grows, so does the Senate, and they have more factions and more people to filibuster bills. They move to a bigger room, and now it's 1917. World War I is underway, but the U.S. isn't involved. Then President Woodrow Wilson asks Congress to authorize a broad military action. A group of senators don't want to give Wilson the power to enter the war. So they decide to debate until the session ends. Filibuster. Woodrow Wilson is mad, and he demands that they go back to the old Senate rules. The debate can be ended with a simple majority. The Senate doesn't want to do that, so instead they compromise. They change the rules so they can end debate with the approval of two-thirds of the Senate. So that if senators want to block a bill, they need a third to do it. This is basically the system we have today. A supermajority to agree to vote, and a simple majority to pass a law. And for a few decades, the filibuster is used, but pretty sparingly. Then in the 1950s, the Senate starts to consider civil rights legislation, and Southern senators really hate this. But they don't have the votes to actually defeat the bills, so they start using the filibuster to block bills. Here's South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond. He looks tired because he just filibustered the 1957 Civil Rights Act for more than 24 hours. These filibusters are painstaking, and they block the Senate from actually doing work. The majority leader at the time, Mike Mansfield, doesn't like this. He's okay with needing a supermajority to pass things. What he doesn't like are these long, pointless speeches. So he makes a change. 
he skips the debate and goes directly to a vote to see if there's a supermajority to end debate. This means if senators want a filibuster, they don't have to stand up and talk. They can just threaten to, as long as they have the numbers to block a supermajority vote. This makes it way easier to filibuster. And the number of filibusters grows. In the mid-70s, the Senate changes the threshold needed to filibuster. Now instead of 34 senators, you need 41. But it doesn't make much of a difference. And then around the 2000s, senators in the minority start to realize something. They can gain more politically by fighting than by cooperating. So they filibuster everything the other party wants to do. That's what leads to this spike. Now, almost every big bill is filibustered. Finally, in 2013, the Democratic majority makes a change to the rules that says the filibuster no longer applies to certain confirmation votes. In 2017, the Republican majority makes another similar change. Both times, it feels like a huge deal. But now, things are beginning to change. The 2020 elections are coming up, and Democrats have some big proposals. Healthcare in America. Federal investment in teachers' salaries. Investments in clean energy. But Democrats know even if they have a majority in the Senate, they're not going to get the 60 votes needed to overcome a filibuster. And that's why a new idea is now on the table. Would you urge the Senate Democratic leader to get rid of the filibuster? I think we have to have that on the table. To get rid of the filibuster. Get rid of the filibuster. Getting rid of an old tradition naturally feels radical. But here's one more story about the filibuster. The Senate is only one half of Congress. The other half, the House of Representatives, also used to have rules that allow the minority party to filibuster bills. Then, in 1888, Republicans won control of the House, but the filibuster rules kept them from actually passing anything. It was like the election and ultimately the will of the people didn't even matter. So, they got rid of it. And the reasoning was pretty simple. If the party that loses an election can block the winners from doing anything, what does it mean to be a democracy? Slave mentality, that's what it is. Slave mentality, right? Oh, I didn't win, but you're my minion. You better not fall out of place. You know, you need to pay attention to me because I said so. Senate Republicans are blocking the debate on uh, the voting rights bill since the beginning of last year. This is from June 2021. NBC's Sahil Kapoor on Capitol Hill now for us. Sahil, what about it? Where do they go? Shep, a major vote in the Senate today. Republicans, of course, unifying to filibuster Democrats' sweeping election overhaul and voting legislation. Now, Democrats insist this is not the end of the road. You heard Senator Schumer there. Uh, he said after the vote that Democrats were going to exhaust every option they had to continue fighting for voting rights. Vice President Harris, who was presiding over that vote, you heard her voice there announcing that failure to 50-50 Un unable to get 60 votes. Take a listen to what she had to say just after that vote. The bottom line is that the president and I are very clear. We support S1. We support the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And the fight is not over. 
Now, the question is where exactly Democrats go from here. The preferred option for progressives was that they would vote to abolish the filibuster and simply push through the legislation uh, on a majority vote basis. That is not happening. There are several holdouts in the Democratic caucus who support keeping the filibuster, one of whom, Senator Joe Manchin, I spoke to just as he was walking off the Senate chamber. He has not changed his position on the filibuster. Where does that leave Democrats now? They could try to repackage the bill, pull out some smaller components of it. Manchin told me that he was talking to Republicans about a separate piece of legislation, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, uh, which would restore a portion of the 1965 Voting Rights Act that the Supreme Court gutted several years ago. There is some possibility that they could restore a formula through which states would have to pre-clear their laws. That too, Shep, is going to be a steep uphill climb in the Senate because most Republican senators I speak to simply say the federal government should not be getting involved in this. They are okay with the restrictive voting laws that states like Georgia and Florida are pursuing. That's a massive difference with Democrats. And it's very difficult to see that Venn diagram overlap with what Democrats want, which is a federal standard. Things like 15 days of early voting guaranteed in every state, automatic uh, voter registration, uh, universal access to mail-in voting. Republicans are simply not interested in this stuff. And as long as the filibuster remains, it's going to be a very difficult uh, uphill climb for Democrats to get any of these through. Shep? Clearly. Sahil so what is this voting rights bill? Well, it's important that you listen to it. This is from September. September 2021, where Chuck Schumer was uh, unveiling the new bill since they filibustered the other one. And, and then I want you to think what happened at SCOTUS today while you listen to Senator Warren and then what Joe Biden's doing. All year long, Senate Democrats have committed to passing legislation to protect the most sacrosanct right in our democracy, the right to vote. On two occasions, Senate Democrats voted unanimously to begin debate in the Senate on this critical issue. And both times, Republicans formed a wall of total opposition against any progress on voting rights in the United States Senate. But Republicans' refusal to work with us is no excuse for not getting something done. So later today, my colleague Senator Klobuchar, along with Senators Kane, King, Manchin, Merkley, Padilla, Tester, and Warnock, will be introducing the Freedom to Vote Act a compromise voting rights bill that I intend to schedule a vote on in the very near future. To piece this bill together, I'm proud to have convened and worked with eight members of my caucus, four progressives and four moderates, in bringing this bill to, to fruition. The compromise proposal contains many of the important provisions of previous voting rights bills championed by Senate Democrats, particularly by my colleague Senator Merkley. It will protect the right to vote, put a stop to partisan gerrymandering, and the scourge of dark money in our politics. Critically, the, elect the legislation also incorporates important feedback from election officials and includes new measures to promote greater voter confidence in our elections while stopping partisan election subversion. This is a good proposal, one that nobody in this chamber should, should oppose. My colleague, Senator Manchin, is working with Republicans to secure support to secure support for the bill. And we look forward to hearing what changes they might make on legislation. I applaud Senator Manchin for his work here. He's always said that he wants to try and bring Republicans on. And now with the support of Democrats in this compromise bill, which Senator Manchin had great input into, 
he can go forward in that regard. The fact of the matter is that this is, the fact of the matter is that this legislation is critical for stopping some of the most egregious assaults against voting rights happening at the state level. A few weeks ago, the governor of Texas signed one of the most sweeping voter suppression bills in the entire country. It comes on the heels of other restrictions sprouting across the country, from ending election day registration in Montana, limiting after-hour drop boxes in Florida, even making it a crime to give food and water to voters at the polls in Georgia. No one, no one can look at these restrictions with a straight face and say they have a legitimate purpose. They have only one goal. It's a despicable goal. It's a nasty goal, making it harder for younger, poorer, non-white, and typically Democratic voters to access the ballot. Republicans lost the election. Biden is president. I'm majority leader. Instead of doing what you're supposed to do in a democracy, win over the people you didn't win before, they're trying to stop the people who didn't vote for them from voting. That is autocratic, anti-democratic, small d, and not what America is all about. It's a new phase of what used to be called Jim Crow. The Freedom to Vote Act is a necessary step to put an end to these assaults on the franchise. As majority leader, it's my intention to hold a vote on this bill as soon as next week, as I mentioned. So that was the bill that he presented, right? Here's what Senator Warren had to say about it. Now I want you guys to think of what happened at SCOTUS today too, okay? Here's what Warren said. She was very upset. All of her one and one, 1,024th American Indian blood of hers that was boiling. 15 years ago in July 2006, the Voting Rights Act was up for reauthorization in Congress. And during the debate, the majority whip took to the well of the Senate and delivered an eight-minute-long speech in favor of the landmark legislation. We have, of course, renewed the Voting Rights Act periodically uh, since that time, overwhelmingly and on a bipartisan basis, year after year after year, because members of Congress realize that this is a piece of legislation that has worked. And one of my favorite sayings that many of us use from time to time is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And this is a good piece of legislation that has uh, served uh, uh, an important uh, purpose over many, many years. This landmark piece of legislation will continue to make a difference, uh, not only in the South, but for all of America uh, and for all of us, whether we're African-Americans or not. Shortly after delivering those remarks, Mitch McConnell will go on to vote for the bill that he whipped his members to vote for, and the Voting Rights Act reauthorization passed in a Republican-majority Senate 98-0. to zero. A week later, President George W. Bush would sign that bill into law. Today, Mitch McConnell, that same man, now the Senate Minority Leader, gave a speech where he disingenuously attacked President Joe Biden for his speech yesterday on the need to pass landmark voting rights legislation, particularly after the Supreme Court gutted the not broke, don't fix it bill that they had passed, the same issue McConnell himself championed years ago. Right now, there is little hope any Republican in the Senate will vote in favor of any voting rights bill. Today, Craig Melvin of NBC News spoke to Vice President Kamala Harris about this. I will not absolve the 50 Republicans in the United States Senate from responsibility for upholding one of the most basic and important tenets of our democracy, which is free and fair elections and access to the ballot for all eligible voters. What about Senator Manchin? 
What about Senator Sinema? I don't think anyone should be absolved from the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy. Are you working? Especially when they took an oath to protect and defend our Constitution. Senator Elizabeth Warren is a Democrat from Massachusetts, one of the co-sponsors of the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, someone who's famously found herself on the other side of Mitch McConnell's attacks on the Senate floor, uh, and she joins me now. Um, where do you think, so what is the plan right now on this legislation? I mean, it, it's going to get a vote one way or the other, or there's going to be a, a attempt to overcome the filibuster. Like there's something moving forward and Senate procedure is always baffles me. So since it's your job, I- explain to me what's happening. Well, let's, let's do the easiest version of this. And that is that leader Schumer has decided he is going to launch this plane and that is he is going to bring us to the floor, which he can, uh, to be able to debate the voting rights bill. Now, we don't yet have landing gear to get it back down. That is a vote at the end where a majority can pass it. Because we have, always remember this part, huh. right now we got all 50 Democrats in the Senate are solidly on board. We've got the vice president you just heard from. We can win the vote to protect the vote all across America. We just got to get to that vote. And that's where we get tangled up on the filibuster. So oh. uh, Chuck is going to launch us off and we're going to see if we can build the gear to get some landing and get to a vote at the end and pass the voting rights bill. We need this all across our country. Yeah, I should say I saw this today. The House is going to pass a, a sort of combine these two these two different pieces of legislation into one. Right. That's what you're going to take up. Uh, the leader can start debate without overcoming a filibuster. And then you're going to try to, you know, basically get to a point where you can, I don't know, vote to change the rule or or, or bring Republicans along. I mean, I, it's interesting the, the launching the plane without landing gear. I mean, I think that's an apt metaphor. Um, how confident do you feel about this? Well, would I rather have landing here before we launch it? You bet I would. But the worst possible outcome is that we never get to the voting rights bill. And right. we have done everything we can. We've got all 50 Democrats on board on the content of the bill. We know how desperately it is needed. We are watching what's happening all around this country right now. A, a concerted effort by the Republicans to deny people the opportunity to vote, to say that they're not going to certify those votes. They're going to let Republican legislatures override the will of the voters and to gerrymander people so that votes mean less than they yeah. would otherwise. So we know the importance. And look, is it the ideal solution? No. But is it the best solution in front of us? You bet it is. I'd rather see us go forward. I want action. I want everybody in America to be able to watch that debate on the floor of the Senate and to see who stands up for voting and who stands up to say, I'll change the rules. I'll do what it takes to be able to protect this cornerstone of democracy and who it is who's going to fight against that. Um, there was uh, a bunch of there's been a bunch of economic data over the last few days. Uh, there was inflation data today, CPI data uh, that showed uh, 7% was the, the sort of headline number. OK, someone said and I and I posted the comment on the screen. Do they really believe their own crap? Right. It's not about them believing it. It's about you. See, the vaccine mandate was to have you focused on your job and your livelihood while they did what they did. But you have to remember something. You know, I think anyone that served knows this. I remember in boot camp, um, 
my chief had said at one point, there was this girl, um, her name was White Feather. <clears throat> uh, she was American Indian. She got in trouble. And the judge told her, well, you're going to join the military or else you're going to jail. I really wish they still did that nowadays, right? But, you know, with all this broken society and confused gender issues, um, you know, I kind of fail. But anyway, he said, um, he said something, uh, he said uh, when, when it was, it was a Sunday and she was there and she was like, well, you know, if I don't like it, I don't have to do it. He goes, you'll be very surprised how organized our military is. And I was like, yeah, well, we all stand at attention and we march and stuff. He goes, no, Maris, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how we follow orders and don't question because someone else has got a greater plan. So when we deploy, we follow orders because someone else has already planned out and you need to play your part. And it got me thinking, right? It got me thinking that, 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 that just came to mind as, you know, obviously we have fake Ahantis on and I was like, wait a minute, we've got all these troops deployed. We're sending more mercy ships. And while I was in the uh, ER, I remember seeing soldiers, um, within the hospital, I actually asked someone, um, uh, why is the military here? And, oh, they're, they're doing COVID tests. And I said, wait, they're conducting the COVID tests. Yep. They're conducting the COVID tests, which I refused by the way. So they were really, you know, they were laughing at me, no mask, no test, you know? Um, but what was really, what really struck me is, since they're saying all of these not to convince themselves, but to convince you, and we have walls being erected, uh, Biden on panic mode, as you'll see, the Democrats on panic mode, it seems like they feel like their script is falling apart. And while they've got all the pawns in place, you know, it's kind of like chess. You know how many moves, those of you that play chess, because I love chess, when you're playing, you already know, damn, damn. In like 10 moves, they can have me out. And if not 10, it'll be 15 if they mess up. They know that they have very few moves. They can only delay what's coming. They're blocked in because we're seeing this on, on a global scale. False news, rumors of war, weird trials, China heading off to Davos. Like, what is that? You know, uh, suddenly we have vaccine mandates and we all know that that's unconstitutional, but we've got people looking crazy. Now we need four boosters, super vaccines, AIDS pills, AIDS trucks are running around the nation, right? Come get your HIV test. And it's like, what the, you know, Dr. Oz, who you would have thought was licking the feet of all Democrat politicians suddenly was like, nope, let's throw Fauci under the bus. You know, the BTO throws Fauci under the bus. Everyone's throwing Fauci under the bus. And I'm like, you know what I remembered? You guys remember when uh, President Trump, they were like, well, what are we going to do about COVID? We're all going to die. You remember that? How the media was like screaming. And remember what I said? Wow, look at that. He just said, here you go. And he put him in the front. His hands were kind of almost pushing him to the front. Here you go. Take him. He's going to tell you everything. Here's your expert. They're going to tell you everything because I'm not an expert. He is. So it's almost as if President Trump put him up there 
and said, here's your expert. Now, everybody, fan your expert. Fauci's like, yeah, fan me, fan me. I do this. And Trump's like, you're doing a great job. Great job. No masks, two masks, 10 masks. They did articles on him. They made cartoons about him. They're making documentaries about him. You've got the Democrats praising Fauci. And suddenly the military is throwing him under the bus. Hard. And suddenly the military is in charge of testing. We have less positives. And we've got them in full panic mode. Oh, we can we can take away the filibuster and pass these. Because they know when they pass laws, it's very difficult to undo. Except if we impeach 44, that'll make it kind of awesome because that would also impeach Joe. <laughs> so I'm just saying, you know, the SCOTUS thing pings back to this. And I want you guys to think about this, okay? Just listen to what she says and let's see what Joe says and see how... SCOTUS happening right now, though a distraction for you to focus on that and not this, the SCOTUS decision that was 6-3 is going to play into this voting bills. You watch. There's some parts of it, as the president noted today, shows a meaningful reduction in headline inflation over the last month. Uh, Gas and food uh, coming down. Demonstrates we're making progress in slowing the rate of price increases and, and basically says that more needs to be done. It's squeezing family budgets. You know, when people ask me about, well, what do you think politics? What do you think about the Democrats this year? My one line answer is if inflation stays where it is, the Democrats are hosed. Do you agree? Let me just do this slightly differently. Do keep in mind that we have created more jobs in the first year of the Biden administration than ever in the history of the United States. A lot of people are back at work. Now, are high prices a problem? You bet they are. But there are a lot of different pieces that are going into this. Some of this is companies that are passing along high prices that come from the manufacturing sector that come uh, in their ability to sell goods. But but some of this is coming from kinks in the supply chain. And there's evidence yep. that these are starting to untwist. But you have to remember, there's another part to what's going on, too. And that is these giant corporations who say, wow, a lot of talk about high prices and inflation. This is a chance to get in there and not only pass along costs, but to inflate prices beyond that and just engage in a little straightforward price gouging. We now live in a time when profit margins are higher than they have been in 70 years. Two-thirds of the publicly traded companies in this country are seeing higher profit margins than they did before the pandemic. Now, your profit margins don't go up just because your costs went up. They go up because you saw an opportunity and you said, as the chair of the Federal Reserve said to me yesterday in testimony, why are they raising prices? Because they can. Long term, we want to get those prices more under control. We need competitive markets. And that means enforcing our antitrust laws, enforcing the laws that promote competition in this country that help small businesses compete. That's going to help us not just in the short run, but that's what's going to help us in the long run, too.
Yeah, they had a cut because it was so full of shit, right? Let me spin this another way. Because <laughs> your question was shit and it lined it up to make me look bad. But here's what Joe Biden is doing. He's actually meeting with Senate Democrats right Here now. Here we go. President Biden set to meet with Senate Democrats tomorrow as he pushes them to pass a major voting rights bill. It comes after the president gave a big speech yesterday and endorsed making changes to the Senate's filibuster rule, essentially so the Democrats can get it done without any Republican support. Today, the top Republican in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, blasted the president's voting rights speech. He said it was full of rage and false hysteria. He invoked the bloody disunion of the Civil War, the Civil War, to demonize Americans who disagree with him. He compared, listen to this, a bipartisan majority of senators to literal traitors. How profoundly, profoundly unprecedented. President Biden must have the support of all 50 Democratic senators if he hopes to pass voting rights legislation. So yet again, Senators Manchin and Sinema hold the power to single-handedly kill it. NBC Sawhill Kapoor now. Sawhill, the, the president failed to get Manchin and Sinema on board for the social spending package. Hey, it's the same guy from June. Can he get him on board for this civil right, this voting rights package? It's not looking good as of now, Shep. Uh, here's the landscape as it stands in the Senate. Democrats have a majority support to pass the two major pieces of voting rights legislation, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, but they don't have the 50 votes they need to force a final vote, an up or down vote on it. They have a path to 48 senators on a rules change that would enable the Senate to hold uh, a vote on those two bills but Manchin and Cinema have been deeply dug in on their support for the 60 vote threshold. Still, they're facing a lot of pressure uh, from the White House and from Democratic leaders to back down. Let's have a listen to what Vice President Harris told my colleague Craig Melvin. And what about Senator Manchin? What about Senator Cinema? I don't think anyone should be absolved from the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy. Oh. And now let's have a listen to what Senator Manchin said about President Biden's speech and his position on the filibuster. Play it. What did you make of the president's speech last night? speech. Did it change your opinion at all on any of these, uh, on the Senate rules changes? We're all still talking. He said, when it, talking. he said when it comes to a majority rule in the country, a majority should rule in the Senate. Do you agree with that? Thank you. Please move your well, mind. He understands. He does understand how the Senate works. And you can hear the reluctance in his voice now. Between now and Martin Luther King Day, which is Monday, Senator Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, has set up what is likely to be the final reckoning on voting rights. He's going to receive a message from the House of Representatives that will allow the Senate to debate these two bills. And then he said in a memo to Senate Democrats earlier today obtained by NBC News that there will be a vote on a rules change uh, to enable a vote on those bills. A big, big question, and it looks like every Senate Democrat is going to have to cast their vote on the record on the floor of the United States Senate. Shep. Sahil Kapoor, thank you. So as you can see... They're going after our nation. One party rule. We have the executive. We have the House. We better have this. It wouldn't strike me odd if Kristen Cinema got COVID, right? Or if some Republican, huh, with some, you know, kitty diddling videos may have to be forced. I mean, I would suggest John Hoven's on his way out. So why not flip? I'm just saying, who's going to flip? You know, maybe Joe Manchin will have a problem. Blackmail time. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. 
six o'clock is quite interesting, you know, because that's where you got to do. You got to watch your six. Everybody has to watch their six. Here's what John Bachman had to say about what Biden said. Expecting President Biden to depart any moment for the uh, for Capitol Hill, where he will uh, huddle with his fellow Democrats uh, in an effort uh, already foreordained to be doomed by no less than Politico uh, to get his fellow Democrats on board for advancing these voter rights uh, legislation uh, or so-called voter rights legislation. Republicans call them an effort to nationalize state election laws. Uh, but uh, if there is no success uh, in those in the advancement of those two voting uh, law measures, uh, then Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York, has said that he intends to begin debate on the filibuster because Republicans are likely to use that parliamentary tactic to stall these voting law measures. Uh, and the uh, effort there will be to weaken or eliminate the filibuster, which has been used in the United States Senate dating back to 1837. President Biden uh, as a member of the Senate, has uh, advocated for the filibuster, but in that big speech in Atlanta, Georgia this week, um, he said the time has come, sadly, to do away with the filibuster or to enact whatever means necessary in changes to the Senate rules to advance those voting rights bills. It's like someone advocating, hey, no smoking in the bars. And then suddenly the, the czar of smoking in bars says, yeah, it's time to do away with that because I like smoking cigars when I drink. See, that's the problem that we have. They change the laws, but they don't like it. Right now, with what Biden said, if you actually had good governors, damn, I'd make a good one. And I'm sure a lot of you would too. I would actually file, you know, a complaint against him, you know, taking away the sovereignty of my state to conduct my elections, right? Because like SCOTUS said, power of this right? These police powers and the elections, because what, are they going to monitor our state elections too? Hmm? Federalize? Ah, forget it. You don't need mayors and stuff. We'll just appoint them. We're the federal government. We know what's good for you. You see, this is why that 6-3 decision would have, if not had come now, uh, would have not been as important. Where are these governors? fighting for their state's rights? Where are these attorney generals fighting for their state rights? Are they just going to hand it over or are they going to wait until it's law? Because if you remember, SCOTUS said only the states and Congress have that right. So Congress has just made a law. So what now? Maybe we can have the states contest a congressionally passed act. Is this how we begin the seceding of states? That's the question you should ask yourself because they're passing this, this bill and apparently Congress represents you. So this is the way the law is. Congress passes a law, the Senate confirms it, Congress signs it and gives it to the president, right? SCOTUS just said that. The only people that make these kind of decisions and have police powers is Congress that enacts laws and the states. So now we have the president of the United States pretty much calling everyone in the Senate a traitor for not abiding with what he says. Therefore, he seeks to abolish a law. This is where governors 
and attorney generals should be coming together and saying, wait, hold on a second. We're not comfortable with that because I don't care what Congress says. They're not going to change the rules to pass a law nobody wants. We're in charge of the elections in our state, not you. And remember, SCOTUS actually ruled that, didn't they? Do you guys remember Attorney General Paxson when he filed against the other states for changing their laws and fucking it up for everybody during the elections? What did SCOTUS say? The election laws are reserved for the states. Well, then, if they're reserved for the states, SCOTUS, how is this unconstitutional bill going to pass? Because Congress can't make a bill about it. It's just a, see, you have to use their words. You have to use their words. I'm so tired of this being dragged out like crazy. I'm tired. I'm really tired of it. And, and the thing is, nobody can speed it up but you. Nobody can speed it up but you. But you know, I have conversations with people all the time and they come up with some crap and I'm like, Damn, who the hell are they listening to? Why aren't they doing something? Why aren't they running? Why did they just give up? You know, people just give up. And then stuff like this happens. Uh, all of it uh, looks foreordained to failure, as Politico and others have noted. Uh, we'll recall that President Biden made two trips to Capitol Hill last year on behalf of his Build Back Better initiative. That remains stalled. So his trips to Capitol Hill haven't been as successful as perhaps the White House would have wished, John. Uh, James, we're here in the White House, is telling us that President Biden and Vice President Harris will be working the phones over the next several days to push for full party support. But who is actually listening? Who is on the fence on this issue? Is there anyone willing to change their position? Because it really only comes down to these two Democrats, right? Well, the Republicans remain uh, effectively united in their opposition to these voting law overhauls. Uh, and the Republicans remain united in their opposition to changing the Senate rules. Uh, it was, in fact, the Democrats who first weakened uh, the Senate rules uh, to secure simple 51 uh, vote majorities for uh, the confirmations of federal judges. That was under the late Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid some years ago. Uh, but as you note, even within the ranks of the Democrats, there are some skeptics, not necessarily about the voting overhauls, but really about uh, any plans to, uh, to weaken or eliminate the filibuster. They include uh, the, what, what, from the perspective of the Biden administration, would be the usual suspects of uh, the Democratic centrists, the senators from West Virginia and Arizona, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, respectively. Uh, Kirsten Sinema, Senator Sinema, spoke on the Senate floor just a short while ago. I think we might have that sound. Do we have that sound? All right, we don't. But in essence, she declared her opposition to uh, to doing anything to to change the Senate rules to weaken the use of the filibuster, uh, but did declare her support for the Democratic plans to overhaul voting laws, John. Yeah, another uh, thing, too, the White House is dealing with today are those wholesale prices surging nearly 10 percent over the last year, the biggest increase in more than a decade. Uh, smaller than expected gain during the final month, though, but still, you know, Americans are feeling this. And I saw it earlier on the network. I don't know if we have permission to use the music anymore, but the uh, the Blue Monday uh, New Order uh, GOP tweet they put out, James. But they're going to attack the White House on this because, you know, pocketbook issues are what affects all Americans. Yeah. Once again, from the perspective of the Biden White House, the Bureau of Labor Statistics over at the Commerce Department has become a very unwelcome presence this week. Yesterday, that bureau released uh, the Consumer Price Index, the CPI, which showed that uh, prices for consumers of just about everything across the board 
uh, from electricity to food and, to food and clothing and shelter uh, and gasoline all went up over the course of 2021 by an average of seven percentage points, the largest such hike since 1982. That's why you saw the Republicans on the House Ways and Means Committee uh, put out a cheeky video on the, their Twitter <laughs> feed last night. Uh, that was done up with 80s-style lettering and synthesizer music, uh, in essence, to proclaim that we're back to the 80s with inflation. Today, the Bureau of Labor Statistics put out the producer price index. This is an important measurement of wholesale prices for goods and services. To put it slightly differently, uh, these are the, the prices for the ingredients and the inputs that the suppliers of goods and, uh, and services to you, the consumer, have to pay first when they're assembling their goods and their services for sale. Uh, and that rose over the course of 2021 by 9.7%. That is the largest hike we've seen in the producer price index since this data metric was first introduced in 2010. The slight good news for the administration here is that uh, the rise for the month of December was 0.2%, two-tenths of a percentage point. That's a smaller rise than what was recorded in October and November. Overall, the Biden administration will tell you 2021 and several other important metrics besides inflation saw great gains, uh, the largest drop in unemployment in American history, uh, the largest number of jobs created, 6.4 million in American history. John. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think this virus is really about? Is it about the Chinese having egg on their face? Is it because the Chinese wanted Biden in place? We talked about chess earlier and how you always know when you're going to fail. You do. You know when someone can box you in. You probably know your demise in chess before the other person, well, if they're not as good as you, right? And you try to make them trip up. But when you're down to it, you know, those of you that have played chess, when do you go after the king? When do you go after the actual person that you want to take down, right? When do you, when you do that? You, you don't do it in the beginning. You don't even threaten. Do you go at the beginning? Or do you go toward the end? You know, how do you box the king in? Because you have to remember, one thing you know is that the queen is always the one that stands in the way of you getting the king. And we have to think who this queen is. Speaking of it, right? You remember how many times I've said, oh, yeah, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, those losers, right? But they had good positioning, even with this faux-selected, you know, president to do something. Isn't it funny how we're talking about vaccine mandates at SCOTUS while they're trying to push through voting rights? Is it really about preventing, uh, is the virus, was, was it really about just, you know, maintaining control and stealing the elections? Or is it about entrapping Republicans that are controlled and not allowing them to investigate the FISAs and what Biden did? This is a question. Is this whole scenario that happened today, SCOTUS and, you know, Joe Biden running to go, you better, ah, is this about the virus or is it about elections? That's the question you should ask yourself. Because while we're looking at SCOTUS, 
Yeah, we're going to, we, of course we were going to win that. There was no way we weren't going to win that. While we're looking at SCOTUS, right? There's other things in play. Elections. Elections, 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 elections. That's what's really in play here. This is what they did. Remember, the Senate was always the target. Always. That's what's crazy. And what people haven't seemed to understand, and when, when I talk media, I talk about the alt media too, the crazies out there, right? It's the same, you know, if you actually take a 40-foot view, 40,000-foot view, you'll see it's all like a high school clique spread around the nation. The same people who control the media are the same people who are part of this well-oiled machine that keeps you in check. Crimes against humanity. You remember all those defendants, right? The defendants in the Maxwell case. Oh, and that's comeback, right? <laughs> so weird. See, the thing is, you were never, ever, ever supposed to make decisions on your own. You were never, ever, ever supposed to challenge their power and the control. You are supposed to obey and accept your slave. Like, what are you doing? They gave you this illusion of freedom. Oh, it's a democracy. Like the Karen, right? That you saw in that video that Millie got down in West Palm Beach. Obey. Obey. Why is it that the media constantly pushes us to be divided? Why are they okay with segregating vaccinated, unvaccinated, black, white, purple, blue? Why do they keep doing that? Why is it always against this religion versus this race, race, sex, sex? I mean, come on. Because the more they keep us divided, the more you're busy fighting each other and the more you're too distracted to even bother with these fuckers. The power that we have is unity. It is the unity in understanding just how powerful we are. Just how they're sitting at the top of the pyramid on our back. They're on the cheerleader pyramid, fucking dancing, jumping up and down, while the, all the people are the ones at the base. Your controlled media, both left, right, and middle, right? are t playing a huge part. They're like the, the, the starring tools, right? To, 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 to steer you into a process and a narrative where you feel helpless, that you can't do shit. And you have no idea what's really going on. Those are the real enemies of the people. It's so incredible when you actually take a view from a pie. This is why I'm seriously considering running for governor. Ah, I may lose, right? I'm going to run on the GOP ticket. No better way. How do you destroy a tank? That's right. How do you destroy a tank? That's right. Is someone going to sit there and tell me that Governor DeWine, who's, who was besties with Wexner, who had a, a, one of the witnesses in the Maxwell trial trapped in his house and works with Hillary Clinton down in Haiti, a better candidate than me? Or is it this new guy that's so establishment that thinks no 
diddling in elections happened, he was sitting on the board of elections. Why would anyone endorse him when he says nothing happened when he's sitting as a board member on the board of electors? Do any of these have a plan? These idiots have a plan? Do they know what they're going to do? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to gut the place down to the fucking janitor. That's what I do. Gut the place. In my state, by executive order, there are no more machines. It'll be paper and pencil ballot. If you're too scared to come and file your ballot, I will send people with body cams like the cops have where they will put it into a sealed box. You will show your identification. You will put your ballot in there and end of story. If you are too scared of COVID, I'll even have them wear stupid hazmat suits. I will gut it completely. And that's just one thing. I've got a whole freaking plan. See, the thing is, all of you have plans too. In your city councils, in your counties, in your everywhere, your school boards. I can get out there, pull them out of there. You know, don't do that. You can get them all out. And that's the thing. Everyone is distracting the people from actually doing and, 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 and acting, right? Doing something like tangible, like actually do something so that they can get away with all of it while we're busy with SCOTUS. And you guys wrote the majority of the stuff that the AGs put out. How can you not see that? You guys wrote that. You sent all those letters to those attorney generals. And if you listen to SCOTUS and read their responses, those were your words. Those were your letters. You did that. I mean, for those that are way too busy to take action in their nation, simply to drop a letter, right? I don't know what to say. We have... So much coming our way. And it does get better. I just wanted to show. <laughs> I just wanted to say, let's just, if everyone's getting rounded up, right? Let's pretend that's true. Just nobody cares. What we need to focus on is actually getting it done and waking the people up so that they take control. As I said, this was the year of the youth. It's coming in with big death and it's going to lull in about August. Now, Let's just take a break so we can shift gears. I'll see you guys in a sec. I'm gonna fight them all. Seven Nation Army couldn't hold me back. They're gonna rip it all. Taking their time right behind my back And I'm talking to myself at night Because I can't forget Yeah, so that's coming up too, right? So um, before we switch gears and talk a little bit SCOTUS and Fauci I wanted to talk about periods So I talked about this a while back and I know a lot of people were like, well, Tori, you know, you're on that age. Yeah. But don't forget, I also have two daughters and I have friends that are not 43. Okay. And so one thing that I noticed, um, in 20, 
20, late 2020 and early 2021 is that my cycle is all over the place. I always had a short cycle, 25, 28 days max, right? Sometimes I would totally get, you know, maybe two cycles in a month, right? That's the, 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 This is a totally natural thing. It's reproduction, right? But for some reason from 2021, it's insane, okay? It is completely insane. And it's not just me, right? Because it's like, you know, it'll be 30 days and then suddenly it'll come back again after 10 days. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on? And then it'll come back again after 15 days and then it'll wait for 30 days. So um, a lot of people are having these. Now we do know that uh, the NIH started uh, uh, research in late 2021 about the effects of the COVID vaccine on menstrual cycles. So uh, this is actually a thing. And again, I'm not speaking just for myself, right? I have friends that are younger than me, right? In their 20s, in their 30s, right? And I have kids too that are girls. And so um, everyone's going through this. And uh, a lot of people, um, you know, don't want to say anything. They're, 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 um, they're logging it in, right? Uh, I was talking about, you know what? I, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, she's a girl. My, 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 my Millie, right? We're going through that. She is. She's 30. Okay. She's 30. Not perimenopausal. My daughter's 21 and 16. Not perimenopausal. So I'm, I'm saying this is a real thing that's happening. You know, it's, it's, uh, the, the periods are different. They're heavier, right? It's, 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 it's insane for women. You know, that, that bases off the of hormones. So I just want you guys to hear this out. I was trying to find study, study data that was initiated on, um, you know, menstrual cycles and the effects of the vaccine or the spike proteins. And they found that spike proteins are aggregating in the ovaries. So it'll be very interesting to see if they do any fertility studies on COVID vaccinated women. That's number one. And I'm surprised that they haven't done that yet, or maybe they're doing it and not telling people, right? But the other thing that I was looking for is to see what hormonal impact that has. Because I know this may sound a little bit, you know, weird, you know, and no offense to those that took the vaccine, but I think women that um, got the vaccine are, are starting to be a little bit manly. I know it doesn't sound right. They just seem more um, bitchy, but manly bitchy. I don't know if you guys have seen it. And so... It seems like, you know, maybe their progesterone has dropped completely or they just seem really, really angry, but manly angry. I can't explain it otherwise. I see a, a lot more lines on foreheads um, from people that are vaccinated and um, uh, they get really um, aggressive, like, you know, like a dumb man would. You know, no offense to the dog. <laughs> offense taken, I don't really give a shit. Just, you know, the man, man that, you know, I'm a man, I know best. Here's my here's my car. Listen, vroom, vroom. and, you know, you ask him something about, I don't know, religion or politics. And they're like, raw, listen to my truck. You know, that's what I meant. But um, 
you know, it's just like a really weird, um, you know, I don't know if they're angry because they took the vaccine and they regret it or if it's changing them, but they seem a lot more manly. They're not as feminine looking. I don't know. I just, I just thought I'd bring that up. Um, and for, for those out there that are suffering through the period thing, I think, you know, actually Patrick Byrne called me and he's like, Hey, someone was telling me that they're doing research. And I was like, dude, I've told you that too. Like anytime I'm on an airplane, that shit will either turn it off for 30 days or it'll be there in 10 days. Right. And he even talked about it. It's actually a thing globally, um, that they're, that they're checking out, you know? So it's really, it's, it's really bizarre. I, I thought I would bring that up. Now, speaking about bizarre, um, I think we should talk just a little bit of um, January 6th. So the Oath Keepers were, 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 um, were charged with sedition. That's pretty crazy, if you ask me. You know, um, it's crazy. Uh, they're, they're sedition. Like, I don't know what's going on with that whole, you know, but the one thing I can tell you is when I was down in DC and before I left, because as you guys know, I had a very important court, um, that my family was attending. Um, uh, I had the next day figured out that there was an operation cause we caught them nodding. I think I played that video where they were like knife, knife and how organized they were and who they were nodding to. And what's weird is, is that, um, you know, I, I actually sat down and ate with Stuart, uh, who is supposedly the leader of the Oath Keepers when I was in Texas. Um, I think they're being thrown under the bus and I'm not, I, I, I haven't focused on this only because I know, um, it's, um, it's not something that should be focused on now. Like the, the false fronts and false flags should be discussed at another time. But I want you guys to listen to the assistant FBI director who asks how many FBI agents were confidential informants during the January 6th riot. I just want you guys to listen to this. Thank you, Senator Blumenthal, Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Olson, how many people have been charged with crimes of violence in connection with the events on January 6th? Senator, I'm not sure exactly how many uh, have been charged with crimes of violence. I know that there are many. Okay. How, how many have been charged with nonviolent crimes? I don't have the numbers of people charged, whether at the state or federal level. I know that okay. there how many people are currently incarcerated concerning the events of January 6th? I don't know the number of people incarcerated again. I know that. So wait a minute. He's there to answer questions about January 6th, but doesn't know how many people are in jail, how many people have been tried, how many people have been charged with violent crimes, nonviolent crimes. He knows nothing. He turns up and he knows absolutely nothing. Okay. I, I how many? Have... Okay. Let me ask you that. Look, with limited time, so I don't want you to filibuster. You either know the answer or you don't. How many people have been placed in solitary confinement concerning the events of January 6th? I don't have any information about that, Senator. You know, Mr. Olson, I will say it was sad. Senator Lee just asked you about this. Back in June of 2021, 
Senator Lee and I and two other senators sent a letter to the Department of Justice asking these questions, asking about the differential prosecutions. Let me ask you, during 2020, Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots all across the country, there were over 700 police officers injured by Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots. How many people have been charged with crimes of violence concerning those riots all across the country? I don't have information on how many. I, I would say, you know, hundreds of people have been charged. As Ms. You, you would say, but, but you don't know. You know, when we asked you why the Biden Department of Justice has such wildly disparate standards going after January 6th, targeting some people who committed crimes of violence and anyone who commits a crimes of, of violence should be prosecuted, but also targeting a lot of nonviolent individuals. We asked you, why is it that you won't target the rioters and terrorists who firebomb cities across this country? The answer we got from the Department of Justice was shameful. On October 22nd, you came back and said, quote, the department has dedicated investigative and prosecutorial resources commensurate with the significance of these events. By significance, I guess it means the political benefit to the Biden White House. And I will tell you, there are a great many Americans who are understandably deeply concerned about the politicization of the Department of Justice under President Joe Biden. It has been 218 days since we sent you that letter. DOJ refused to answer the letter today when Senator Lee and I asked you about it. Your answer to every damn question is, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You're under oath. You may believe at the Department of Justice that you are unaccountable to the American people, but that is not the case. And the wildly disparate standards are unacceptable. Ms. Sandberg, I want to turn to the FBI. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. Ms. Sadburn, who is Ray Epps? I'm aware of the individual, sir. I don't have the specific background to him. Well, there are a lot well, of people who are understandably very concerned, concerned about Mr. Epps. On the Can I just say that wig is so weird and totally looks like a dude in a wig? Just saying. Night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered. And there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, Fed, 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 Fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a Fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. The next day. The next day. On January 6th, Mr. Epps is seen whispering to a person, and five seconds later, five seconds after he's whispering to a person, that same person begins to forcibly tear down the barricades. 
did Mr. Epps urge them to tear down the barricades? Sir, similar to the other answers, I cannot answer that. Shortly thereafter, the FBI put out a public post listing, seeking information on individuals connected with violent crimes on January 6th. Among those individuals in the bottom there is Mr. Epps. The FBI publicly asked for information, identifying, offering cash rewards leading to information, leading for information leading to the arrest. This was posted and then sometime later, magically, Mr. Epps disappeared from the public posting. According to public records, Mr. Epps has not been charged with anything. No one's explained why a person videoed urging people to go to the Capitol, a person whose conduct was so suspect the crowd believed he was a Fed, would magically disappear from the list of people the FBI was looking at. Ms. Sanborn, a lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you, and this is, a, this is not an ordinary law enforcement question, this is a question of a public accountability. Did federal agents or those in service of federal agent actively encourage violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? Not to my knowledge, sir. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Senator Leahy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I'm sure the witness. So, all right. So if you guys go back to TorySays.com, I identified a few operatives that worked for the agencies. 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 And there was a video where we had actually transcribed, I, I think it was on January 8th, um, where we had transcribed the conversation. I identified all the operators, giving them giving signals. So um, <laughs> what's crazy is, is that, you know, they did stupid things like hide moles and, you know, whatever. And that FBI representative, obviously, was wearing a wig, right? And even though we had John Sullivan at three places that they were shot, keep in mind, no one's, you know, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me stop for a second. Stop, don't shoot, hands up, blah, 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 blah. Unarmed, you get shot, cops go on trial. Where the fuck is the guy that shot Ashley Babbitt who had no weapon? Hmm? Gun! And then suddenly when John Sullivan says gun, suddenly they prop her up like an offering and they shoot. And it's like, why is that guy not going through trial? Or is he? Or what's going on here? They said, gun, gun, prop her up. Boom. It was so staged. And it was like he was far away. He could see she had no weapons. She was just a girl going through an opening. That's it. If she was armed, he'd have to do like what was so important if everyone was in the basement, right? Because I know this because there were reporters that were in the basement and I was texting with them, right? If they were in the basement, right, then why was it so important that she couldn't go in there. Who was there that they had to shoot her? There was no threat. It was just, just a bunch of cops. No one was there. So what was it? What 
was it? What gave him the authority to shoot? See, that's the problem. And if uh, I think Millie, when she was at West Palm Beach, she was asking about that. Ooh, wait a minute. You know, instead of us talking about SCOTUS today, we could talk about that tomorrow because there's going to be a shit ton more. I think we should just watch this before we go. I think it's important to see it. She was asking about actually Babbitt and um, getting shot. So she interviewed people. And so, uh, you know, shooting black people is a bad thing. But if you're using lethal force to stop protesters and they just happen to be in the Capitol, it's okay. Cognitive dissonance is real, right? And you can see the struggle. Let me play this for you. I'm Millie Weaver reporting for MillennialMillie.com. We're here in West Palm Beach, Florida, and today is the anniversary of January 6th and the killing of Ashley Babbitt. While there was an investigation following her killing, many feel that it was rushed and heavily politicized. So here's the question. Since when has it been okay to use lethal force on a protester? Was Ashley Babbitt's killing justified or was it murder? Let's go see what the people have to say. Hi there. Hi, how are you? We're out here asking people questions since it's the anniversary of January 6th, the storming of the Capitol. Uh -huh. um, do you guys know about Ashley Babbitt, the girl who was killed during the Capitol? Yeah, yes. nothing's ever come of that. Right. Um, would you like to see a more thorough investigation into her killing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's only warranted for anyone. Everyone deserves that respect that information is being held back, right? right. So you don't, you don't know, you don't know that you, you know one fact, she didn't have any gun on her, right? And she didn't have any weapon, right? So based on that, you can say that it was a murder, but then again, right? We don't have the evidence. So why don't they share the evidence? We know that the congressmen and women, the representatives were already evacuated. So what was the need to shoot and kill her, right? We, don't, we just don't know. We're not, we don't have access to the videotapes around the whole Capitol. Uh, there's just a lot being held back. And I think that uh, the family, number one, has a right to know all of that. Uh, but I think that we also have a right to that information. I don't know why it's all being suppressed or held back. I think every situation is different. You can't say this for everything because every situation is different. Of course, if somebody has a weapon, of course. And you have to, um, same thing with us as a civilian. You're, you're being threatened, then yes, there's a, there's a difference. I agree. That's okay. But for protesters, they should have done, you know, so many other things that they could have done rather than just shoot, shoot and kill and ask questions later. It's just not okay. There's gotta be a line. Right. Like she did not have any weapons on her at all. Um, the officer was kind of hidden off to the side with his gun. So she didn't even see his gun and she crossed over they were lifting her up. She was going to go through a window and they just shot her, which they were shooting into a crowd of people. I mean, the bullet could have missed or ricocheted. Yeah, don't they have like those rubber bullets and even a t the taser? I mean, there's so many other things they could have done rather than kill her. You know, so many other things they could have done. So it's a shame. Of course, it's sad that she was murdered. Of course, she, it, it's, 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 it's devastating to think that a protest can turn into something so terrifying. You know, we lost a lot of lives that back in February uh, uh, due to protests and, and everything. So I, I personally think that she really shouldn't have stormed the Capitol. She really should not have been in the Capitol. And that 
and unfortunately that was the consequence um so do you think that it's okay for the police to use like lethal force i mean killing protesters um not i really don't think so uh protesting in the streets and and i don't i of course i don't think that that i know i'm contradicting myself but i just i really don't think that uh, do you think that there was other things they could have done there could be an to an extent the police should be able to use force like shooting i think everyone agrees like what happened shouldn't have happened like the people should not have stormed the capitol that was wrong um but when we're talking about like taking a life like killing someone it's a a tricky subject to talk about I feel like I gun control and, and all that stuff about the police force. It's it it's a trick. It's a touchy subject. Do you think that it's okay for police to use lethal force against protesters that are not armed? No, I don't think in any situation, unless there is, you know, undeniable reason to believe that the person is there to kill or inflict harm. That you know, maybe you should try to incapacitate them. But I think any time that you can knock someone down without lethally, you know, like killing them or hurting them. And I think that's the approach. I mean, that's how I feel about police in general or not, or just any form of weaponry. I think that if you can try to incapacitate someone without killing them, then I think that should always be the, the method. So I don't know why that wasn't done in that case. And I, I feel bad for that. Us as a, as a country, we, we have to work better on, uh, you know, the people that we give the authority to uh, do things like that, um, you know, it's a very circumstantial thing. Uh, you know, the the police and everyone they're here to protect and serve. So I think I think that's a important thing to, you know, do background checks, see how everyone is, uh, you know, will will perform in situations like that that we can't expect because it was a it was a crazy event that happened. I remember where I was hearing about that, and it was you know it was a tragedy, especially since someone got killed. The whole thing in the first place was, uh, it was madness. So, you know, anything like that, uh, someone getting shot or not, is, uh, it's not good to see, you know, for other countries to see of us like that. Right, right. Um, so I think moving forward, you know, as a nation, it's, it's important to, to, to come together and to make sure that we're all looking out for our, everyone's in, in collective best uh, interest. Do you think that they should have used some type of other non-lethal means to, you know, get the protesters back? Like maybe uh, pepper spray or, or tear gas or uh, rubber bullets or something else other than just a gun? Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I see what your point is. Um, yeah, of course, that's always uh, <laughs> better right. than having a, a dead body, of course. Um but, uh, you know, these things, uh, unfortunately, they happen, and it's really just about how we, we move forward. And I think uh, definitely when something like that happens, it makes us look back and think, you know, okay, how can we handle this situation better? The year is 2022. So basically, uh, as long as it's, uh, you know, someone white and a Trump supporter, they can be shot. The question is, She dead, not dead. That's not the point. The point is lethal force was used on a crowd of protesters. There was no one there that uh, was a threat. Well, they could have been a threat collectively, right? But there was no one there that they were protecting. So the question is, what was down that hallway? If everyone was gone, right? What was down that hallway? Why did 
he shoot? Why did he shoot knowing she can't see that he's shooting because she's busy, busy getting up? So that's the question everyone should be asking themselves. Why is he not being tried for murder? Right? Why is he not being tried for murder? What's going on? How does the FBI not know how many people they have in jail? How does the FBI not know how many people they have in solitary? How do they not know who is charged with violent crimes? How does the FBI not know how many people were charged with nonviolent crimes? How did they turn up for a meeting via Zoom where they could be, hold on, let me get someone to get those numbers? How is it that they turn up and they suddenly don't know who, what, when, where? I mean, you're turning up for a J6 questioning and you bring nothing and you can't speak about it because we can't talk about sources and methods. They got busted with Gretchen. Oh, you know what? If she became freaking governor of Michigan, I could totally become the governor of Ohio. I know she's just a puppet and they staged her, but I'm, I'm getting really irate with all the people that they're staging in the state of Ohio. It's driving me insane. Um, I digress. The question that we should be asking ourselves is, okay, so we have all these people, right, that are calling for, oh, no police, over, oh, nah, nah, nah. got shot, and the person's not on trial. It doesn't matter what color her skin was. It doesn't matter who she was supporting. The bottom line is she was shot. Let's focus on that. Is she dead, not dead? You can go down those conspiracy rabbit holes yourselves. We should stick to the facts. Kind of like what I said to the lawyers when they were like, social media and the news say about COVID. And it's like, shut up. Let's stick to the law facts. Let's stick to the law facts. Was there a reasonable threat that he needed to shoot her? Only she could fit through that window at once. Was there a reasonable threat? Was she armed? I could not see. Was she a threat? No, she was busy getting propped up to climb in. So the question you guys should be asking yourself is he shot the gun in a crowd of people. Okay. That may have all been unarmed. I didn't see them shoot people when they stormed a federal building in fucking Portland, when they were taking down the courthouse. I didn't see anybody get shot when they were lighting place up. In fact, I saw BLM shooting people while they were looting. So the question is, we need to demand that that person that shot Ashley Babbitt be put on trial. We need to know why he shot her. If no one was there that was worth protecting, what were you? First of all, I'm curious to know what the hell were you protecting? And second of all, he was like a couple doors down shooting at her. These are questions. And uh, let's not forget. Every inch of D.C. is under surveillance <laughs> in the house. Every section of it is under surveillance. And it seems so staged that the same guy, John Sullivan, who was recording a documentary for Netflix, happened to be again at a spot with a gun. You guys need to see the Utah shooting from that, you know, gun thing. It was a pro gun event. Remember that? The pro-gun event, right? Where they were like about, you know, keeping their guns, right? Remember that in Utah where there was a shot? You know who filmed that? John fucking Sullivan happened in his backyard. Remember Chaz? Everybody forgot about Chaz, right? That was okay to happen. 
where they blocked off certain blocks, terrorized people, killed each other, did a bunch of shit there. That was all fine, right? But then this girl gets propped up on a window and she gets shot. And it's okay. It's okay that we shoot her. But we didn't shoot any of those people that were terrorizing people because they claimed, you know, they're having their own, you know, nation. Right. You remember that? Right. Anyway, tomorrow we'll talk about um, uh, because I was going to ping over the whole SCOTUS thing with the cybernetics today. I'll move it to tomorrow um, just because it's getting late and I don't need this to be a three hour show. Uh, people usually listen to me during their drive and three hours is way too much. They have to listen to me in the bathroom. Those are texts that I get from people. So I want to keep it, uh, keep it to the two hours at least. So on that note, I will see you guys tomorrow. And again, we'll be victorious as long as we stand up. They can't control us. That's the way it is. Another seed, another package lie to keep us trapped in greed. You see the green belt wrapped around our minds, endless red tape to keep the truth confined. 